C.O. Bigelow Apothecary is the oldest apothecary in America. The Greenwich Village Pharmacy and Shop is run by third-generation pharmacist Ian Ginsberg. Ian works alongside his son Alec, who is the fourth-generation pharmacist at the New York City locale. I'm Fiona Shea, and this is Cityscape. C.O. Bigelow's is a staple of the village, serving many prominent personalities since it was first established in 1838. Mark Twain, Eleanor Roosevelt, and Thomas Edison are among some of the original customers. Legend has it Edison burned his fingers while making an early prototype of the light bulb and soothed them with balm from Bigelow's. I caught up with Ian and Alec Ginsberg, the father-son duo, and talked about what it's like to run this well-known apothecary today. Hi, I'm Ian Ginsberg, president of CEO Bigelow, third-generation pharmacist. And I'm Alec Ginsberg. Uh, I don't really think I have a title, but I'm the fourth-generation pharmacist here. <laughs> Thank you, Ian and Alec Ginsberg, for joining me on Cityscape this week to talk about CO Bigelow Apothecary. So the first question I'm going to ask you guys is, what exactly is an apothecary? So there's dictionary definitions in our definitions. The apothecary is, is a pharmacy, essentially. Um, but I think an apothecary is the gathering place. If you go back to uh, in, you know, colonial times or post-colonial America, it was the gathering. It was the place where you went to get diagnosed and treated. How do you transport your customers back in time? How do you keep that authentic old world place? So I think it changes over time, but uh, um, now I think as, as crazy as the world gets and as digital as the world gets, people still need a place where they can just be in the moment, put their phone in their pocket. Um, how do we do it? Um, I think it's, it's, it's we go back to basics. So no matter how young or old people are, there's some memory about going to see the pharmacist at some point in their lives, and I think that experience has slowly been taken away, almost eliminated now. So how do we, 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 you know, everything here is assisted. Everything has to be asked for. It's just, it's just one, you know, we, you know, it's, it's hospitality, it's service, it's taking care of people at an emotional level as opposed to just picking things off a shelf. Definitely doesn't hurt that uh, the building's landmarked and, you know, you were down there before. It, it looks almost identical to what it would have, you know, 100 years ago still. Is there construction being done on the outside of your building currently? Uh, yes, we're under a major uh, facade reconstruction that's been going on for about a year. Um, what you see looks really bad, but most of the work's happening in the back. It's just a, it's just more protection. But yeah, the building is 117 years old, and uh, although we've, you know, you've periodically done th things to it, now it's under a major facade renovation. Do you guys consider yourselves a dynamic father-son duo? Of course, we. Of course, let him answer that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like to think so. Um, I think it starts with the fact that we're both uh, musicians. So he's a, my dad's a drummer. Um, grew up classically trained, and I play guitar and I sing. And we have a family band with some other members. But growing up, just about every night we would be uh, playing, jamming together in the basement of our our house where I grew up in on Long Island. So I think that kind of started all of it, and then. Uh, my mom likes to say that we're basically the same person, so that definitely adds to that. So you're the only child who decided to get involved with the pharmacy? Yeah, I think I scared the rest of them away. Are you the oldest? Yes. And you have two younger siblings? I have two younger siblings. I have a younger sister who's two years younger than me. She lives in London right now working for Google. And my younger brother is five years younger than me. He's finishing his master's in robotics um, at Penn right now and going to work for SpaceX, actually. So they're both, uh, they both went into engineering and left the beauty and the, the science <laughs> to us. 
So when did you get interested in pharmacy, Alec? Um, so it's actually funny. It wasn't really pharmacy that, that drew me here. I think I grew up um, very interested in what my dad was doing all the time on the beauty side and always coming home telling me stories about the cool people that he used to meet here. Um, the village is kind of a center of culture and you know music culture especially is important to me. We have uh, Jimi Hendrix's studio, Electric Lady Studios around the corner and I would always come in on the weekends and help doing whatever I could whether it was walking deliveries or filling the shelves downstairs with stock from the basement and I'd always see these cool people I you know would hear about and listen to and I got I got really drawn to the place more than the the pharmacy aspect of it and then as I grew older and decided I wanted to be involved, uh, that was the one rule that he that my dad put in place for me. He said, if you want to be here, you have to be a pharmacist. Um, so I went to pharmacy school and really the whole time was not planning on getting so heavily involved in that side of it. It was kind of a means to an end. And then once I wound up getting here, I realized that was where I could make the biggest impact from the start. And that's kind of where I've immersed myself so far. You are a fourth-generation pharmacist at CO Bigelow, and you're a third generation. third generation. Can you take us through the history of your family's involvement with the pharmacy? Yes, so the pharmacy began in 1838 uh, by a doctor, and I guess you'll ask me about that a little later. Uh, and it was, because uh, most, most apothecaries were founded by doctors in those days, it was passed from employer to employee. Uh, the guy's name was Dr. Galen Hunter, and there's a plaque downstairs, and it says he was a Vermont physician. Um, a guy named Clarence Otis Bigelow worked for Dr. Hunter and took over in 1880 and changed the name to CEO Bigelow. Um, in 1902, he built this building for himself, the Bigelow building, the one we occupy today, and uh, it was continued to be passed from employer to employee. And then uh, it was kind of run down during the Depression, and my grandfather was an a, a Eastern European immigrant, a pharmacist studied by candlelight, you know, the, 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 the typical story, and found this place with his brother-in-law and bought it in 1939. Um, so through the years, I had uncles, cousins, everybody was kind of here. My father was born and raised in the business, and uh, he came into the business in the 50s. And uh, I, as he said, was a musician, went to music school most of my life. And my father always believed that, and my parents were actually musicians too, so they were a little cooler with it, um, more so than his father. And uh, But wouldn't let me go to music school for uh, college and said, why don't, my father always believed you needed a degree to do, like a license to do something, so they said, why don't you go to pharmacy school so that when you're, um, when you're starving later, you'll at least have a license to do something um, and fall back on it. And so that's kind of how I ended up in pharmacy school. But um, I did spend every minute of my life growing up here because, uh, you know, from the time I was five, six years old. And then when I went to music school during the week or on the weekends, I would end up back here when I was done. How do you decide which products to sell at the pharmacy and also, can you talk a, a little bit about the CO Bigelow line of products? Yeah, so when we, when we changed up how we dealt with customers, where it was all assisted sell, even today, if you want Tylenol, you have to ask for it. Um, we learn a lot from people. And there's one thing about the West Village. It's an it's, you know, extremely diverse community. So you have, um, you have young, old, uh, uh, international people, celebrities, um, people in fashion and beauty, um, all, at all income, and you kind of learn a lot from people. And the way, because of the way we retail, everything's we're talking to people all the time. We learn a lot about people, um, uh, so we know what people want. Uh, we know what problems they want to solve. We have an idea of what they're willing to pay for things. Um, 
I was always fascinated by European apothecaries because it's the same kind of idea. And so I've traveled, you know, I've, I started traveling around the world in the 80s finding things. And after a while, you kind of get a feel for what people want. And so I think what's, what's what, one of the things that's made us survive for 180 years and still going strong is that we really pay attention to our customer. And, you know, everybody calls himself a curator, but I think we're pretty good curators. But it's just listening, you know, it's not that hard. You just kind of, the people will tell you what they want. And that's kind of how we, that's how we, that's how we bob and weave. Um, as far as the Bigelow line, same thing. We had, um, it began, we have a warehouse full of history. We have books, bottles, photographs, recipes, formulas, remedies, uh, prescription books. And you get a lot of, um, there's a lot of learning into what, 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 what ingredients, uh, you know, ingredients and, and disease states and, and problem solution. And so a lot of, you know, you take all that together, all the icons and the packaging and you mix it all up and, you know, it, it enables you to really come up with a collection of things that are really intriguing. Are there any products that have remained really popular among customers since the beginning of the pharmacy? Yes, so one of the first products we made in the apothecary uh, that goes back in our archives is something called Lemon Body Cream. Um, we still make it today. The formula goes back to 1870. Um, really, the, the, the origin of it is someone came into the apothecary and said, hey, I have really dry skin. Can you make something for me? And the pharmacist would go in the back and he'd make up this deeply moisturizing cream um, the irony is that uh, a lot of the old products, apothecary products, always had a signal they were working. So a lot of them had um, menthol or camphor or phenol or cooling elements in them. Some had, you know, um, refreshing things. So this cream they made, let's say, uh, they put a little lemon oil in it because it was refreshing. It's a little skin brightening. Um, they put a little uh, carrot oil in there because it had a little beta carotene and it's good for the skin. And all of a sudden they had this yellow cream that smelled like lemon. But it's a fragrance-free product because it's not fragrance. And it's colorant-free. It's not color. And um, it still is good today. And, of course, there are some ingredients we can't use anymore. And some, but today it's still a deeply moisturizing, great, refreshing cream that's as good today as it was 150 years ago. Can we talk about cocaine eye drops? Yeah. <laughs> we can. What um, are cocaine eye drops? Um, they used to use cocaine eye drops many years ago for, um, for pain. Uh, if you scratch your cornea... Um, uh, for any type of, uh, you know, any type of that kind of condition. And, and we made, I guess, 4% cocaine eye drops as recipes in the, in the archives. And years ago, we used to have, uh, we used to buy, you know, flake cocaine. Um, of course, we don't anymore. Um, and, I, and I imagine they use it for another, an, uh, other number of things. But it was a numbing agent. Um, you know, in, the, in those days, you had opium, you had cocaine, you had uh, um, uh, liquid, you know, um, tincture of opium they used for diarrhea, they also, you know, all sorts of old remedies. So would Thomas Edison and Mark Twain and Eleanor Roosevelt come and get cocaine eye drops, you'd say? Uh, well, I, I don't know. And <laughs> if I did, HIPAA would prevent me from telling you. But we do, we do know that all of them were customers. Um, Mark Twain, we have his charge account records in our archives. Um, the Roosevelt's lived around the corner. We have a letter that uh, Eleanor Roosevelt wrote to my grandfather. It says, Dear Mr. Bigelow, but Bigelow was dead 20 years when, he, when she wrote it. Um, um, and um, the, there's a legend that I can't 100% prove that uh, Thomas Edison uh, invented the light bulb when he lived in the neighborhood. And there's a story that my, my great uncle used to tell that when he burned his finger on the light bulb, he came here and we sold him something to soothe his finger. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Do you have any notable personalities who visit the apothecary now that you'd be willing to share? Um, yeah, I mean, so we take care of a who's who of New York uh, for lots of reasons. One, because people just love this place. Um, two, because um, especially now in this digital age, people are very worried about their personal privacy and um, 
these days you go to a doctor and your prescription is sent digitally somewhere in the stratosphere and it ends up at some place somewhere you don't know and people are very you know not comfortable with that and I wouldn't be comfortable with that and I think people trust Bigelow so a lot of it ends up here so they know we'll, we'll, we'll take care of them I mean we do talk about those that you could see um, you know, we've t- you know who lives in the village. You know everybody from Susan Sarandon. We used to tell you know, Lou Reed, and you know when he was alive, and Elvis Costello, and Adam Duritz, and uh, Jane Krakowski, and uh, um, Amy Sedaris, and uh, I mean you can see them on a daily basis. And Jessica Lang, and uh, you know it goes on and on and on. Um, Liv Tyler. So those are you know we we're we're very protective of who we take care of. But these are people who, for some reason, they feel comfortable hanging out. Um, Rick Ocasek um, and, and I always say like we take care of lots of people but what really dry, you know really is super cool is seeing people like Diane Van Furstenberg or Calvin Klein or Gilles Ben-Simone or any of these people who don't run their own errands or, 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 um, or um, Graydon Carter but the one errand they run is they go to Bigelow's um, and that gets me excited you know, you know, more than anything else because there's something about this place that appeals to them that you know, they love just hanging out and shopping around I understand that CO Bigelow used to actually be a hangout place called the Soda Fountain. Can no, we... We, we had a soda fountain. Okay. Um, uh, Apothecaries had soda fountains. A lot of them did. We had one until 1984. Uh, we took it out then. But um, it was a gathering place, and people used to eat all their meals here. And so at any given time, like my memories are in the 70s, you'd have... Um, um, and people would people would eat three meals a day at this place, and you'd have um, the New York Dolls on one side. You'd have uh, when Saturday Night Live was was big in the '70s. You'd have the Belushi's on the other side because they lived around the corner. You'd have Ramsey Clark. You'd have William Kunstler. You'd have Ron Reagan Jr. Frank Stella, and like all this, you know, this cast of unbelievable people just sitting there. You know, this was their for some of them. This was where they ate their meals, and they would you know their seat would be waiting for them, and their meal would be waiting, and they'd pop in, and people would just hang out all day here, or or people would hang out while they were waiting for their prescription to be filled. You get a, you know, ice cream, you know, you get an egg cream or you get a coffee or you get, you know, full meal. They make fresh food every day. So why did the soda fountain close in the uh, 80s? So the soda fountain was falling apart. Um, it was a concession. The store was fully, you know, from, from you know, 100 years of grease. The store, all the woodwork was covered in, in, in the soot. And the guys who ran it were like a, this cast of amazing characters. And um, they were getting tired, and they did, and the, sto- the, the fountain needed to be rebuilt, and they really didn't want to do it. They were done, and other people wanted to take it over, but you know what? It, it wasn't. It wouldn't have been the same. And so we just decided to close that chapter of history. And um, the soda fountain was wasn't always here. It came in. We don't know exactly when it came in, but it probably came in in the twenties or thirties. So we figured let's let's bring the store back to its original. It's an interior landmark. Let's bring all the woodwork back and, and kind of, you know, it would have been great to keep it, but it was, it was, it was kind of the right move at the right time. We, we still definitely hear at least two to three times a day, every single day in the pharmacy, oh, I used to sit at the soda fountain. You, everybody who doesn't realize who I am when they come in, they'll look at me and be like, you wouldn't remember this or know about this, but there used to be a counter over there to eat food. Um, I hear it all the time still. And I'll, or they'll, they'll tell me I was 22 and we took it out. You know, you don't remember... But there used to be a so really because I would wash and dish it there when I was six years old. Um, yeah, people still reminisce about the fountain. Do both of you function as pharmacists in the store? Will you prescribe customers on a personal basis their medications? Um, so 
I still work as a pharmacist, um, you know, maybe not full-time every day, but definitely at least for a couple hours a day I'm standing just as a traditional pharmacist. I think that's really the best way to get to know our customers. Um, you know, when, you're, when they're asking you medical advice or health advice, that's when they really get the most honest with you. Um, so I try to spend some time doing that every day. And like I had mentioned before, I primarily focus on the pharmacy side of it right now. So even when I'm not standing back there, that's usually what I'm, you know, worrying about. Uh, I would say my dad is still a licensed pharmacist. We're actually, our licensing, every three years we have to renew it. And our, we're both coming up at the same time this summer and we're a little behind. So we're going to have to catch up on that. But uh, Yeah, he, uh, he still maintains his license, but... Um, and he'll walk around the pharmacy a little bit every day or, you know, if somebody's downstairs asking a question by the pharmacy, he's happy to counsel and, you know, give them advice. But uh, not usually, not standing behind the bench like a traditional uh, pharmacist checking prescriptions in a while. What do you have to do to renew your pharmacy license? You need to, every three years, do 22 hours of non-live continuing education, so like reading and answering questions or watching lectures, and then 22 hours of live credit where you actually have to go and sit in class, essentially. So we both finished all of our non-live credit, and we have uh, about two and a half months to get the live hours in. Yeah, you have to do 45 hours of mixed live and non-live, uh, and it's it, it, they didn't always have it. They started it maybe 20 years ago, but it's important, yeah. Um, Stuff on, like, new drugs and, you know, updated regulations, things like that. And how many pharmacists do you employ here? So if you include me, there are six of us. Um, We have four PharmDs and two pharmacists. Alec is a PharmD. Uh, Now it's mandatory, and two of us aren't. But we probably have four pharmacists working most of the time. Do any people ever enter the pharmacy and are just really confused as to what it is? Um, no, I think, uh, no, I don't think so. Some people may walk in the front door and don't realize there's a pharmacy in the back, although it's pretty robust, but most, um, no, most, you know, walk around and explore. Here's kind of, you want to explore when you step in here, so you kind of, you kind of see it and, and, um, but yeah, I mean, we have a lot of tourists who come here because they know Bigelow, they've heard about it and they, they have no idea that there's a pharmacy here and they're like, oh my God, it's a real pharmacy. Um, but we are one of the busiest in New York, one of the most, probably the most sophisticated, I would argue. We do a lot of really amazing, uh, patient care stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, once you get to, you know, once you really get to know the depth of what we're doing, it's pretty, um, it's pretty unbelievable. And how do you advertise and market to new clients, not just people in the village who know about Bigelow? Um, we don't necessarily, um, of course, because it's the, you know, it's 2019, you have to, we have to be on, you know, on social media and stuff, but no, I I always say our best marketing or our best advertising is our customers. So if you talk about the, on the pharmacy side, he hears me talk about this all the time. You know, when you get to be my age, you sit around with friends at dinner and they're like, yeah, I'm taking this or I'm taking that. And they go, where do you go? And I go to Bigelow's. You go to Bigelow's. How come? Oh my God, let me tell you 10 reasons why I go there. And so I think that's our best. Um, our best marketing is our word of mouth. Is people who've been here and say, "Oh my God, this is the greatest place on earth." Um, but we don't. There's no traditional advertising. There's no traditional marketing. Of course, we have our own brand, so you know our own brand is out there. But so that part of it, we're working on um, constantly. But on the, the pharmacy side, which is the you know the, the which is the core of our, our ethos, that's really word of mouth. Can you talk a little bit more about the C.O. Bigelow Experience Tour and what that entailed? 
Um, so many years ago, uh, we did a block party here in the neighborhood um, on Greenwich Avenue, a huge block party in partnership with the Children's Museum for the Arts, where it was, uh, we, did, we had all these experiential things. We actually made, we had a couple of stations where people could, sh- we could show people how we make some of our products, learn body cream stuff. We had vintage candies. We had all kinds of experiential stuff. And it was a huge success, and people loved it. And so we thought it would be a cool idea to take that on the road. So we uh, we we got a, an Airstream trailer and decorated it, and we um, it drove around the country where we set up shop in different locations over a course of a couple months. And I would literally fly out every time they would go somewhere. So they drove this thing around, and so we started and um, we we did Hollywood and Highland uh, in L.A. We did University of Arizona. We did uh, we were in Dallas. It was in Atlanta. And um, it actually was, uh, our credo is genuine, honest, trustworthy. And it was actually during the, uh, before the elections, uh, during the primaries with um, um, Hillary Clinton and Obama. And um, it was, uh, we did this whole thing on which, which candidate you thought was more genuine, honest, or trustworthy. And we, we were gathering names and we were submitting results. It was fun. It was just kind of a fun thing just to get the word out. Do you do any other events in New York City? Um, for our brand, we do pop-up stuff with some of our retail partners. So we've been doing a pop-up barbershop uh, since Neiman opened at Hudson Yards. We've been doing a whole pop-up uh, men's barbershop experience uh, there every weekend. It's actually going on this weekend as well. Um, we also distribute other brands in a separate business. And with those, we do a lot of um, experiential stuff. Um, we do some of the award shows. We do at the... Um, uh, what do you call it, the Jazz Age Lawn Party in Governor's Island. We distinguished Gentleman's Ride back in, in September, October for November. Uh, we do all, all kinds of crazy stuff. I understand the pharmacy is involved in some fundraising endeavors as well. Yes, yeah, so my, my, our family, uh, my wife and I are involved. Uh, my wife's on the board of BCRF, Breast Cancer Research Foundation, and uh, Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation, um, both of them. And um, so we ourselves, uh, we run two big events a year, uh, one for ADDF and one for BCRF that we host and we, we, we sponsor. Um, actually, the ADDF one is coming up in a few weeks at uh, Chelsea Piers. We'll probably have, last year we, we, we had about 800 people. We raised about a million three. Um, it's something we're deeply committed to. It's mostly, it's more, it's all about research. Um, both of these organizations are amazing. BCRF, 91 cents of every dollar goes directly to research. And ADDF, 100% of every dollar goes directly to research because Ronald and Leonard Lauder underwrite the entire organization. Um, but we're committed to meaningful drug research, um, stuff that the drug companies don't necessarily focus on. Have either of you ever been inside a Dwayne Reed, Walgreens, CVS in New York City? No, it's funny. People always ask me, like, don't you hate going in there? And I go, no, no, I love going in there because, like, even, for instance, like, I, we, I live on Long Island, so you would think the CVS on the North Shore Line is one of the better than maybe some of them, the other ones. And, um, and I stand by the pharmacy and I just watch and the experience is so awful that it's just, it's, I said, oh, you know, it's just a reminder of me that we'll be around for a while. Um, and people always ask us how we that we don't compete with them. What we do here is so different, and I think people expect more out of 
it's healthcare, and so people expect more. So, no, no, I love going there because it's a, it's a reminder that we're doing the right thing. And, and well, they also say, don't you hate chains being around you? No, no, the more chains, the better. I love the chains because, again, what we're doing is so different. It just helps us. Um, it helps us look better. Yeah. Not, not a day goes by where I don't have a customer who comes in and says, I'm just fed up with you know the CVS. Can I transfer everything over here? I've heard you guys know how to handle things. Um, and that obviously makes us feel like we're doing something right. <laughs> Yeah, people don't realize, you know, even with all these new, uh, you know, new apps and, you know, the stuff that's advertising on the subway, the capsules and the, and the, and the apps to get drugs online and um, all, that's, all that's fine if you need one thing. The minute you get sick, that's not, that's not, that's not healthcare anymore. People, you know, we deal with, we deal with, we're in the healthcare business and we deal with people who need, who need, who need that and all this experience been taken away, whether it's the doctor's office or whatever, you know, the whole experience has been destroyed and you need somebody you can count on and you need somebody you can rely on for information and to help you and to hold your hand and to tell you and talk you through it and just, you're not going to do that on, you know, texting some doctor on an app. It's just not, um, just not the way it's going to be and so, you know, it's nice if you need a birth control pill or, or an antibiotic once a year but, other than that, you know, when you're people, they they need us, and so they they end up coming here. So if I wanted Co Bigelow to be my primary pharmacy, I could just te- simply tell my doctor send my prescription to Co Bigelow. Yeah, and then we we you know I always say like we'll we'll never match the chains on technology, but we'll get pretty close. We're, we're, and we're we're probably we're probably right there, but we'll kick their butt in everything else, and. Um, you know, people, we get, our, our best fans are the, those who have to move away and, and call us on the phone and go, oh, my God, I never realized what I had until I didn't have it anymore. Um, or people just end up here. Um, and Alec is working on, you know, some, some of the technology that we have for the future, you know, compliance and things like that. And people are amazed um, at, at, you know, we can do these things and we can do it a lot better. And we can do it with a human touch where all these other things are, are built around eliminating the human, you know, eliminating all the human touch. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think something that really separates us is we mentioned before that we have, you know, four pharmacists at any given time essentially on the floor and really six most of the time during the day, whereas you walk into a CVS or a Dwayne Reed, there's one pharmacist, never more than one. Um, and that person, you know, for all that they do, they just can't take the time to give every single person who comes in the door, you know, the time and attention to answer all their questions. People come in here, we have at least one pharmacist, if not two, who are able to sit with you for as long as you want answering any question that you need. And uh, even in the days now of Google Doctors, everybody goes online, researches their questions and everything, they still want to call and hear somebody or come in in person and have somebody look them in the face who's been educated and trained and verify what they found. It Even if you find the answer you think you're looking for online, you want somebody to calmly tell you, yes, what you found is correct and you have nothing to worry about. Um, so people do that all the time here. What is the product from CO Bigelow that you can't live without? Uh, I would say there's a few from our own brand. I mean, our, our Rose Sav is super famous, been around forever, and uh, we sell lots of them both here and all over the world, and so that's kind of one that, that's in everybody's pocket, you know, every woman's pocketbook. Um, our Bigelow Shave Cream is pretty famous. It's made by our partners in Italy. Um, the Bigelow Premium Shave, that's pretty popular. Our Lemon Body Cream is pretty, pretty, pretty famous. Um... When when my friends come in to visit and they walk around, they're like, "You got to give me the one thing that you think I need to have." I I always come back to the Rose Sav because it's a product that hasn't changed in over a hundred years. I grew up using it 
all the time, winter, summer. You can even see on the tin itself, it says for any use, it's like lips, knees, elbows, fingers. I mean, I grew up using it all the time and I still do. And it's, you know, an inexpensive product that's tiny and you could keep with you everywhere you go. And it's that iconic tin, you know, and it's, uh, no, it's, it's for everything. Great. I might have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much we'll, we'll, for... We'll, we'll give you some. Really? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to take a look. Um, thank you so much, Ian and Alec, for speaking with me today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, New York is a crazy city, and all these, all these you know, classic New York businesses are, are, are going away, and it's sad. And um, this is a 181-year-old business in the same family for 80 years, and, you know, it's, uh, listen, it's a struggle. But we, you know, we, we try to bob and weave, and we try to figure it out. And, um, but there needs, you know, as, as crazy as the world gets, you need places like this that are real, and when people crave things that are real, and it's authentic, and I think I, I get crazy, and he'll, he'll tell you, they get nuts about all these healthcare, you know, all these apps now offering medication on apps, and, and I just, you know, that's all well and good until people are sick, and then they need somebody to help them, and those apps aren't going to help. And the the only thing I'd add to that is that, um, you know, we are a family business, and yes, it's the Ginsburg family, but the thing that makes this place special is not that it's our family, it's that the whole store really, every, I wouldn't say everyone, but most of the people that are here have been here, you know, 10, 15, 20 years even. Our, our super is married to the head technician whose son works in, you know, the stock room. We just... We're a big, you know, group of people who care about this place a lot, and people come in here and they ask for people by name, and they ask for the pharmacist by name on the phone. It's not, let me speak to the pharmacist. It's, hey, is Alec there? Is Sheik there? Um, you know, some people have even become like neighborhood legends because they've been here for so long, and the people get to know us, and uh, I think that's kind of dying around the, the country and the world right now, that neighborhood spot where everybody just orders things straight to their, you know, apartment, but people get up and they come here because... Not just because of the, us two, but because of everybody here that makes up that whole family vibe. Yeah, we have. I, there's somebody. The guy that runs our web business has been here longer than me. Uh, most people have been here 20, 25 years or more. And, uh, yeah, and it's 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 special. Co Bigelow is definitely a New York City gem. Thank you so much for well, sharing it with me. Thanks Thank for coming you. and hanging with us. That's Ian and Alec Ginsberg, third and fourth generation pharmacists at Co Bigelow Apothecary. The pharmacy and shop is located on the corner of 6th Ave and West 9th Street in Manhattan's Greenwich Village. Find out more about the apothecary at BigelowChemist.com. That's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm Fiona Shea. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.